You know, this week I was in my quiet time just overwhelmed by uh, Philippians 3.10 where Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And you know what? That's what I've been praying for you. You, many of you by name, if you're on my Facebook and your different issues, but that's what I've been praying for you, uh, for our church here, our congregation here, our congregation out there at Midlothian, that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, that the power of his resurrection is so very, very real in your lives. I tell you what, this is an exciting, exciting Easter for me, and I'm going to say it's probably because I was just in Jerusalem. A couple of weeks ago. I've, I've been to Golgotha. I can say that now. I, I've been to the tomb. I've looked inside. He's not there. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. That's a good hearty amen. Yes. I tell you what. You know, having been there, I just can't help but on, an, on a time like this, show a few pictures. And I said that and I thought to myself, somebody's going to be sitting out there thinking, oh my gosh. We've come to an Easter service, and this guy's going to show us a slideshow of his vacation. Yeah, so buckle up. Here we go. (laughs) It'll be just a few minutes. Uh, Folks, this is a picture of Golgotha. Now, you know what? It's funny when you're there. You've got all these places where you want to know, does X marks the spot? Is this the exact spot that it happens? And in a lot of places, it can be difficult to say, this is the exact spot. I'm showing you what I absolutely do believe is the exact spot that Jesus was crucified. A couple of things, both from Roman history and the gospel accounts of Jesus' death. First of all, you know he was crucified at Golgotha, and it was called the place of the, the, place of the skull. Look at this. Two eyes. A nose, remember in the skull, the nose doesn't come out, it's just a hole, right? And you say, yeah, but there's no mouth there. No, when they built this road up, they covered the mouth. Because down here, there was a big hole, absolutely. I've seen the picture prior to the the parking lot, and yes, right in front of this is a bus station. But uh, this is, when you see the picture of the mouth, and it's just right here, it takes no imagination at all to look at that and say, man, that's a skull. That, that looks just like it. Now, there's some other uh, evidence as to why I think this is the exact spot. And, and to do that, I have to ruin a lot of Christian hymns. Because it was on a hill far away, right? Nah, probably not. The, the Romans would not have crucified them up here on top of a hill. They would have put them down here on the road. You see, like in our executions, it's only a few people see... It's very clean. It's very still. That was, the, the Romans had the exact opposite idea. How violent and how public can we make it? So when they crucified people, they put them on the road. And not just at the road, but they put them at some of the busiest intersections so that the most people would have to interact with somebody who had defied the state, who, who was considered an enemy of the empire. So that's where they would put him. Well, what's interesting about this spot right here is that during this day, there was a road that went to Jericho and there was a road that went to Damascus. Outside the city walls of Jerusalem, this hill would have been one of the busiest intersections anywhere around. So there's a lot of reason to believe that, that right along in here, maybe right behind the bus... You know, I don't know, I may be the only one who thought this. I was looking at that bus station, 
And I thought, well, you know what? That's still kind of appropriate, isn't it? Because that's what it would have looked like to the Romans. That's what they would have been aiming for. Where can we crucify somebody where it's at the crossroads of where people are moving and traveling? What else is interesting about this spot right here is you don't have to walk 100 meters before you come to a garden tomb. It's an incredible garden to stand in. Now, I I don't know that there's any semblance to the garden I was standing in and what that garden would have looked like 2,000 years ago. But it's a side of a hill. It's a garden. And there are tombs dug out out of the hill that look something like this. Let's bring up the next picture. They would, they would dig into the, into, the, uh, into the side of the hill. Then they would put a kind of a, a face on it there. And then you would step into the door. You can't quite tell it here, but there actually is a channel right along here. And that's where the stone would be set in place and then, and then rolled over the door. Now, you remember Joseph of Arimathea is who came and got the body of Christ. Joseph of Arimathea was a, a very wealthy man. Well, most people didn't get to get buried like this. This isn't what most people, their, their tomb looked like. A wealthy person would have had this. And a really wealthy person would have had this one. Because when you stepped inside, it was two rooms. Now, I'm using the word rooms kind of loosely here. Okay, by rooms, I mean there was kind of a hollowed out cave. This actually doesn't go more than about seven or eight feet in. But then you would kind of go to the right. And then there was another hollowed out cave. And when another five or six feet in, and then if we could go to that picture, inside there, there was this, this, uh, this stone bench where the body would have been laid. Now, it's, it's pretty difficult to say, this is the tomb. There, there's no real evidence to say it was this tomb or that tomb. I think there's a lot of evidence to say it was probably in this area. It was probably in a tomb like that. And, you know, when you're standing outside this and, you know, Golgotha is just right over there and this is here and this this garden. I'm telling you what, folks, it's a pretty special feeling. I mean, it's just a feeling, but it is a, a very overwhelming, a very special feeling. There's a real feeling of the closeness of God. You know, I think... From y'all, well, since I've been back, probably the question I get asked the most is, do you, do you feel closer to God there? Do you feel a closeness of God? And, you know, there's a part of me that says, man, yeah. When, when you're standing in a spot like that, to know, man, this is, where, this is where Jesus walked. This is where Jesus did that. You feel a real sense of closeness. But then there's a part of me that says, well, that's not very, that's not very biblically accurate. Let me come back and explain that in a moment. Now, there is another place in Jerusalem that is just driven by the closeness of God. People literally come from all over the world to have a moment of being close to God. And it is the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Have you all heard of that? I'd heard of it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know much about it. Didn't know what... What was going on there, what, what that was about, or why it was what it was. But we went by there, and, and folks, anytime you walk by the Western Wall, several days we walked by it. Sometimes multiple times in a day. And there was usually around a thousand people. I mean, never. I mean, it's, it's seven days a week, all day long. 365 days a year, there are people, Jews from all over Israel, Jews from all over the world. And really what you observe when you get there is probably religions from all over the world trying to get up close to this wall and pray. 
Why? What's going on? What's so special about that wall? Well, I learned. And it's really kind of cool. Watch this. You've got to look at a map here. Okay, this is the, this is the, the, in Old Testament times, what Jerusalem looked like. And, of course, when you had a city, you built walls. That was your safety. And so this is the eastern wall. Uh, you see, this is the Kidron Valley, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives. Got some really cool pictures from that. And I just don't have time for them tonight. But... May 25th, Memorial Weekend, a little commercial. Karen and I are going to do a presentation of our trip to Israel. It won't be just a slideshow, but kind of drawing some spiritual insights when you get to physically see the place and, and how it comes together. But anyway, that has absolutely nothing to do with Easter. So let's move on. Okay, so here we are. We've got the Eastern Wall. Well, if this is the Eastern Wall, that makes this the Western Wall. Are you all with me? Okay, I wasn't real good in geography, so I don't know how y'all are. Eastern wall, western wall. Well, in between the eastern wall and the western wall is the temple. The front of the temple would be facing the eastern wall. The back of the temple comes right up against the western wall. Do you remember what is at the back of the temple? The Holy of Holies. That, that room that held the Ark of the Covenant, that room that held the, the earthly dwelling place of the presence of God. You, nobody could go in there, only the high priest, and he could only go one day a year. Nobody could get that close to God's presence. And so you, you, you've got the Holy of Holies, and then there was a, another room, big room out here, but only the priest could go in there. So, so the common person really couldn't get past this spot right here. But you know what I could do is I could go out the temple, around the walls. I could come around back, and look how close I am to the Holy of Holies. What people are doing at the Western Wall, folks, is they're getting as close as they can to what is considered the presence of God. Now, that temple's not there right now. That's the Dome of the Rock. A lot of controversy about that. A lot of tension in this spot right here. But but they believe that temple is going back. And this wall right up here against the Holy of Holies is called the Divine Presence. And folks, it's something to see people... And religion does this to us, doesn't it? I mean, if you go through these rituals, if you'll go to this holy place, if you'll do these things, you can get, you see, how close can I get to God? How close can I get to Him? I need Him so much. And I got good news today, folks. You don't need that wall. You don't need that wall. You know what? There is a, a little line In the gospel accounts of Jesus' death and resurrection. I think it's a line you know. But it's a line we read right past. Because there just seems like there's there's bigger things going on. In and around this line. But this line is profound. And I would go so far as to say. This line is what the entire New Testament is about. This line is what the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. This is the gospel right here. This one line. And when you see the masses of humanity trying to get to the wall, you see the importance of this one line. I'm going to use Mark 15 as the one line. And Jesus uttered a loud cry. And we know from the Gospel of John that that loud cry was, It is finished. Everything necessary to bring you back into a right relationship with God. Everything necessary for you to be declared holy is complete. Jesus uttered that cry and breathed his last. And because of that cry, because of that pronouncement, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top 
to bottom. Now remember what the, the temple is all about, folks. It's not a whole lot different from what our temple is all about, other than we don't sacrifice thousands of animals. But there's two main things going on at the temple. One is the worship of God. The worship of God as, as described by the Mosaic law. They would go there to, to faithfully fulfill those commands. And the other big thing going on was dealing with sin. There was the altar there. There was all of the sacrifices there. Man was dealing with sin. So you had man's sin coming right up to the threshold of the Holy of Holies. And, and that Holy of Holies was blocked off. There was, in Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us this large veil, this large curtain, not hiding God, but protecting us. Folks, in, sin, in our sinful state, it's not safe. It's not safe to be in the presence of God. And, and, and so this veil was put up to separate. You see, that sin separating us, that's not just a kind of a spiritual metaphysical idea. That's a very literal, a very concrete, a very real idea. We are separated from God. The first century historian Josephus tells us that this veil was 60 feet high. Now everybody look up. The ceiling in this room is 29 feet 10 inches. Now, I don't know how tall the ceiling is out at the theater, and it's not very tall if you're on the last row because it goes up. But if you imagine yourself down there at the stage, it's not as tall as this. So as we all look back up again, that veil was pretty much, whatever we're looking at, twice as high as this. That goes way on up there. Now, Josephus also tells us that the veil was four inches thick. Now, I don't know how he would have known this. I don't know the truth of this. I know he's considered one of the, the premier historians of that day. He said that horses could not pull the veil apart. Horses that, that, that were tied on each end of the veil could not rip it apart. It was that strong. It was, it was that big. And yet the veil did tear. And not starting at the bottom where you and I would be, but 60 feet up that tear started and went all the way down. Who tore it? God tore that. God tore that veil. Why? What's going on here? Folks, at that moment that Jesus died, when that veil was rent in two, God was saying, it is finished. And the payment that my son has made for you is acceptable. It is satisfying. It accomplishes it. You can now be declared holy. And as God rips open that veil, he is making access. He is opening up the way, throwing open the way for you and I to have access to God. People from everywhere, anytime can come to God through Jesus Christ. And it's not only the idea of we can come in. But folks, it's God coming out. It's God coming out to the entire world, to all people. We all have access to God through Jesus Christ. You know, it's awful exciting. I would encourage anybody and everybody to go to Israel. But you know what, folks? I don't have to cross the ocean. I don't have to stand before a wall and, wall and desperately try to get as close as I can. I can have all of God's presence. I can have 100% of His attention wherever I am, whenever I want, through Jesus. Through Jesus. Those are two very operative words. Jesus said, I am the way. And let me add some words to this. I am the way to God. I am the truth of God. I am the life of God. Of God. Nobody, 
Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what religion you follow or don't follow. Male or female. Young or old. Sick or healthy. Good or bad. Doesn't matter who you are. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets into the Holy of Holies. Nobody gets past that veil except through me. Now that one statement right there is pretty much what separates Christianity from all other religions, isn't it? It's that statement right there that makes the world hate Christianity. This is the line that looks like we don't work and play well with others, isn't it? You know, folks, we we think of uh, radicals. Most religions are not actually represented by radicals. Just in the last two months, I've talked to Jews, I've talked to Muslims, and I've talked to Buddhists. And out of all three of their mouths, Hindus, four of their mouths, I've heard the exact same thing. Hey, you know what? We're all ultimately working our way to the same God. We're, we're all kind of different ways. up. I've heard that out of the mouths of four different people in just the last two months. Hey, you call God by this name. We call God by this name. You say it's this way. We, but in the end, we're all kind of doing the same thing, aren't we? But that's not what Jesus said. It's Jesus who excluded all other ways and all other names of God. You know, I've been asked, why do you believe that? You know what? It's utterly irrelevant what I believe. It's what Jesus said. I am the way to God. There is no other way. It doesn't matter where where you go and stand, what holy place you visit. It doesn't matter what religious rituals you accomplish or how good you try to be. You know why it doesn't matter? Because, folks, when you and I are being at our very best and standing in the most holy spot we can... We're still a sinner, aren't we? It, it, it doesn't matter if I come right out of Lord's Supper and right... And boy, I took... I got to take communion in the garden tomb. It was awesome. But in that moment, standing right there in the very proximity where Jesus may have been resurrected and, and I'm taking the Lord's Supper, I'm a sinner. I may be doing good things. I may have just done something. I'm still a sinner. You see, religion... And man's works have no answer for that. No way to deal with that. But Jesus does. Why does Jesus say he's the only way to God? I think he has the authority to say that, doesn't he? Having been resurrected, showing himself to be the very son of God. And after all, it was his blood and his blood alone that rolled down that cross, as we just saw in that video. It was His blood alone that washes away my sin and your sin. It's His blood alone that allows the opportunity for you and I to be declared holy. You see, folks, when God tears open that veil and gives you and I access to Him, it's not because He lowered the standard. The standard is still absolute, perfect holiness, righteousness, justice, truth, and goodness. And you know what? That's not what we are, is it? We might have a little bit of holiness and a little bit of goodness and some of us have more than others and and maybe we look at those that don't have any at all but the fact is we're not those things absolutely and we're not those things perfectly. But by the blood of Jesus Christ we can be declared holy. By the blood of Jesus Christ it cannot only be safe for us to enter God's presence it can be good for us to enter God's presence. It's not just an access we have to God. It is a loving access that we have to God. 
Now, folks, why? The way to God is very exclusive, unique, solely, only through Jesus. That way is open to all. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. Doesn't matter what religion you've followed or what religion you have not followed. It is open to all who will come. And for all who come, the way to God is open. And you never lose that way. Because Jesus made a promise, I will never leave you. I stood there at that wailing wall. How do you not go there and pray? And as I prayed, I was just overwhelmed. God, I'm so grateful that that my best chance to get close to you doesn't actually have to involve me flying over the ocean. It doesn't involve me being able to get here to the western wailing wall and and just know that, boy, right on the other side of this is where the, the holy of holies would have been. This is as close as I can get. I was so very grateful. God, thank you, thank you. You've made the way open to me. And I can enjoy you and all of you wherever I am, here at the wailing wall or at home alone. I can know all of the presence of God. As I began to think about how grateful I was for myself, I became so burdened for everybody that was up and down that wall praying with me. Because I knew that for so many of them, they thought, this is, this is my best chance, maybe my only chance to get this close. Could not help but begin to pray. And I, of course, you don't want to look at somebody when they're praying, right? But I wanted to see their face. I wanted to see their face as I prayed in the name of Jesus for their salvation that they could one day know the joy of having access to God, whoever they are, wherever they are. Let's pray. Father, there are those in this room tonight that have access to God. And there are those in this room tonight that do not. Lord, for those of us that do, may we be ever grateful. Not Again, not just for access but such a loving access. Oh God, may we be ever grateful as we realize that what we get to enjoy, we do not enjoy because we were owed it. We do not enjoy because we deserved it. We enjoy it because you're just that gracious. You're just that loving and that kind. God, may may we live life in light of the access we have to you. May we be ever grateful. May may we interpret life. May we process life. May we take steps into life in the full knowledge that I go with God and God goes with me. Lord, for those in this room tonight that do not have access to you, for those that, that have come here this weekend and do not know you personally, may this day be the day that they step into your presence and from there into eternity of a relationship with you. May today be the day they have the courage and the faith to turn from sin, to turn from self, to turn from the world, to turn wholly and fully to Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.